0: Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show with your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Mozovic. And now, here's Jay.
1: And good evening. Well, obviously, I am not Jay. I am Robin, I am the producer of KRBN Internet News Talk Radio, and we're waiting for Jay to check in, so I'm sure he'll join us as soon as he can. So, but what, in the meantime, I would, what I'd like to do is invite people, you know, you can call while we wait for Jay, or you can talk to him when he gets here, um, 646-721-9887, we're also simulcasting on Facebook if you'd like to join us there, uh, if you already are there, Welcome. Again, um, the number six four six seven two one nine eight eight seven. 646 721 9887. Yesterday was a primary. What you think about that? Did your candidate uh, win the nominations? Did the measures go the way that you were hoping? Um, I'm kind of excited because I have a longtime friend of mine who has been running for office several times, and I'm excited that she actually won the uh, Republican nomination for U.S. Senate. So congratulations go out to um, Joe Ray Perkins. She's really worked hard this time, and I've known her for years, and I really think that um, she would be a really good u s senator so if you haven't looked at her, um, take a look at her the uh, other things with the elections um I was really surprised with the lCC measure um, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'll get those. Um, Because looking at the non-LCC Facebook page, you know, when somebody shared the numbers, um, it it looked like it was going to go down really hard, but uh, it passed. And just a minute, Jay is checking in on text, so hang on there. I don't see him on the board yet. Uh, let's see. Let's just try clicking on something, see what happens here. If Jay comes up here and uh, is Jay there? Yes, Jay is here. Jay is there. Jay, well, we've already started the show and I was just, just talking about uh, the LCC bond measure. But if you'd like to go ahead and take over, the microphone is yours.
2: Yeah, well, first, let me say good afternoon, everybody, and and you know, I guess technical difficulty or something like that. I'm sitting there waiting for Robin to call and, and connect me. And for some reason, maybe she wasn't seeing me on Skype or whatever. Um, probably another one of those mystery updates that gets in the way of, of our communications. So my apologies for being late, but we are coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira, Oregon. And I feel like this is how I've spent my um my covid 19 is sitting in front of my computer and talking to it or listening to somebody else talk to me Uh, because it definitely seems like that most of my day is spent in either a zoom meeting a go-to meeting or some other meeting platform Uh, i think i did a new one today for a um, state emergency response committee meeting
0: (laughs) you know it's like
2: everybody's got a different platform. So I keep having to download new pieces of software. Maybe that's what screwed it up, Robin. All these go-to whatever meeting softwares I had to do. I did, it was Skype for Business today I was the, the first time I've used that. So yeah, maybe well, that, that's what screwed things up.
1: Well, I was waiting for the notification, and I didn't see it on the list. But one thing I've noticed over the weekend, because uh, I guess there's so many people staying at home, um Internet's been kind of having problems. Even YouTube went down for a little bit. And I guess uh, some other people were having problems with Skype last week. Yeah,
2: I, I've noticed in a couple of my meetings that having them freeze up, um, the feed from somebody frees up because they're on a slow Wi-Fi or something like that. Um, you got to be careful to make sure you're on plenty of bandwidth as you're participating in these meetings.
1: Yeah, if, but you know what's fun to do, though?
2: Yeah.
1: Is when <laughs> is when you
2: pretend you're frozen. Go, ah.
1: you got it. <laughs> he knows me so well. Yeah,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. I do, but yeah. And uh, I did you mention when you were talking about elections and LCC bond measures and all that stuff? But did you mention that your former host on KRBN Internet News Talk Radio uh, made it? through the Republican primary to run for U.S. Senator? Uh,
1: that I did.
2: I'm glad. Well, congratulations, Joe Ray Perkins, for uh, that win. Yeah, you know, it wasn't a very, um, you didn't hear a lot about that race in the news or anything like that, but it was a four-way race, and uh, she convincingly won uh, that nomination. So now she's got a tough uphill battle uh, of trying to, Defeat an incumbent senator in a state where one city can outvote the rest of the state, it seems
1: like. Uh, yeah. So, so we, just, still got, we still have the attitude of, and this is my preaching, my family has voted this party for three generations, and by golly, I don't care who's running, I'm voting for that party.
2: Yep. Yep. Well, you know. I, I would love to keep talking about parties and all that stuff, but there's so much I've got to talk about today. I'm worried I'm not going to get to everything. <laughs> so I'm going to jump away from the election for a minute. We'll come back to the election because there are some things that, that were kind of interesting. Cliff Bence's victory in, in uh, the Republican primary for that, um, you know, House of Representatives and district um, two there was, was, Pretty unpredicted in some ways, uh, so that was, but had, had an interesting regional component to the vote, but we'll, we'll get back to all that election stuff in a little bit. I've got to talk about, you know, the, it's been two weeks since we've talked, and I, and I have to talk to you guys about phase one and and coming out into phase one. Lane County got approved, you know, and we're now in phase one. Yay! Starting to reopen this 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 economy. And um, it's just, you know, so much to talk about, you know, and then there's the the court case on the governor's, you know, stay at home orders and, you know, uh, and just so much, so much going on. And we're getting ready to finalize our budget here in Lane County tomorrow. But I always want to get back to the fact that this is a call in show and I want you guys to be able to participate. So, you just have to call us at any time at 646-721-9887, and you just press 1, and that lets you get in on the conversation here on the Bose Nose Show. Again, that's 646-721-9887, and just press 1. That lets Robin, our call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the show. So, so much to talk about. I, and I, I just have to talk a little bit about getting approved for phase one and how it looked from the county side of this whole thing and how this whole thing has looked. You know, where the governor, you know, basically said, first thing the counties have to do is submit us plans. And counties started submitting plans, you know, without a whole lot of guidance. And then she said, whoa, 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 whoa. we're not ready to accept plans yet. But we do know that you're going to have to certify that you have enough personal protective equipment for all of your first responders. And that's going to be the county board of commissioners' responsibility to certify that to the state, which kind of seemed like, hmm, that's pretty interesting because we're not exactly, you know, the head of first responders. In fact, the only first responders that generally report to the county commissioners are our public health staff and our um, our uh, sheriff's patrol. So everybody everybody else is reporting to somebody else. <laughs> so, you know, making us responsible for that seemed like, hmm, is the governor trying to avoid a little liability here or something, you know, and, and making us the, the scapegoats? And of course we have to draw up the plans and then they're just going to review and approve them. So it's, it's our plans, not the governor's plans, so to speak, under her guidelines. Um, but we've, you know, we had to Turn around and reproduce these plans after they finally gave us guidelines on what the plans had to include, and got those submitted, and then you know they they wouldn't accept them until um, Friday, May eighth was the first day they accept them, after they had been being sent plans for weeks from counties that thought we, they were sending in their plans, <laughs> um, and then so we finally you know Lane County staff you know, got the, the, the new, you know, guidelines, I think on Monday, the fourth and on Friday, the eighth, they managed to submit those, those plans to the state. And then we had to wait to see if we were going to be approved. And then the governor said, you know, set up this press conference for Thursday, the 14th. And, uh, to make the announcements, but OHA in the middle of the night, Sent emails to all the counties that were getting approved, <laughs> so they jumped the shark. And of course, the counties told the news media they'd been approved. So you know, there's breaking news on the 6 a.m. you know newscast on radio and television that morning about this county's been approved. And of course, you know, once one county heard they were approved, everybody else started looking in their email boxes and realized, oh, we got approved too, or whatever, you know. <laughs> And the governor's press conference was, you know, kind of uh, preempted by the fact that the Oregon Health Authority um jumped the shark and sent out emails to everybody. But that that's sort of what you know we're seeing from the state emergency operations center and the and the folks in the governor's office. It says stop, start, stop, start, new guidelines, new rules, can't take the applications till then and then we're gonna tell you, you know, when when we we'll get to them when we get to them. But fortunately they let us know. Um, early in the morning of the 14th that they were going to allow us to go into phase one on the 15th, which of course then flooded my email box with people going, I'm not sure, I've gone to the the website I don't quite understand whether I can open or not, you know (laughs) so I'm having to refer all sorts of uh, requests from various businesses and types of businesses to staff to see where they fit in the guidelines and helping them out you yeah, know, but it seemed like we got some of that straightened out. But, you know, just from the county point of view, what a cluster in some ways. But, uh, you know, it's just it was crazy, crazy to, to to watch all that happen. But what's great is we are in phase one. At least we're starting to reopen. And I'm just, you know, hoping that we you will know, we'll keep things open. But then shortly thereafter you know there comes the ruling from the baker county district court judge that the governor's orders that started the whole you know lockdown of the state and also included the freeing up of phase one all of that was illegal and she actually you know only had 28 days she could Operate under emergency orders without the legislature stepping in and extending, and, and 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 even so, she would have had to go under a different piece of of actually the Oregon Constitution to get past thirty days, and it would take the legislature giving her that approval. So, here you 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 know stumble through this phase one stuff and the craziness where, you know, it seems like the governor wants to take all the credit for, um, the lack of deaths in, in the state for COVID-19 in some ways, but she wants to throw all the responsibility of reopening back down to the counties so that we can get blamed, uh, for whatever happens in our counties. Um, and, and what's interesting though, is there's actual data available that if you, uh, Grouped states, by um, how strict and how long they've done their, their lockdowns, it's it actually inverse. The the number of days a state's been in lockdown equate to more deaths per 100,000 population in that state than the ones that didn't do anything and, or were in lockdown for a shorter number of days, which is... You wouldn't think it's that way, but that's the actual data in this country. Mm-hmm. And they took New York State out of the equation not to skew things. So, um, it, it you know, it's not just the number of deaths. It's the number of deaths per 100,000 people in a state is a fair way to compare state to state. And if you do that, um, you know, Oregon still compares pretty well across the country. But in general, lockdowns don't equate to less deaths. They actually equate to more deaths in some ways. And I don't know, it, it, it just may be pure um, bad luck that you know, you know, certain states may have had many more uh, international entries from China prior to when they actually pulled the trigger on their lockdowns. And that may be just why that's happened. Um, but lockdown does not equal less deaths necessarily Um, but you know here we got this judge that that basically says the statute that applies because it's the only ORS um, that mentions public health emergencies had a 14-day limitation on on declaring that emergency with an allowance for a one-time extension to a total of 28 days so after on the 29th day the governor's lockdown executive order wasn't really legal, even though her first order was for 60 days and her re-up of it was for another 60 days. So we are well past the legality of that, but the governor's folks, you know, immediately appealed to the Oregon Supreme court, skipping the, the, the appellate court stage and got the Oregon Supreme court who, um, the chief justice was moved up to chief justice by the governor uh, and uh and the, some of the folks serving on the supreme court owe their appointments to the governor uh issued a stay and and said we're gonna we're gonna take this up in expedite by a diet of manner and uh and therefore that the baker county decision is not in force right now but i kind of you know i've read the decision, and I've read the ORS around this, and I just can't see how the governor's people can try and say that the 1949 statute uh, that never mentions public health emergencies um, doesn't, has some kind of precedence over the more modern statute that does, and it's very more, much more specific, because, you know, one of the things that um, the judge cited was case law in this Where conflicting statutes, um, you take the most um, specific one, the one that goes into more detail, as having precedence over a non specific one. So it's like there's just, there's so many ways that you can't, you you look at this and it's like, I, I can't see how they can get around what this judge decided. But all the governor has to do is do what I thought she should have done in the first place. Declare the emergency not under a statutory authority Declared under her constitutional authority that was put there by the voters Back in 2012 by amendment In section 10 a it's roman numeral 10 so you'll see it as x capital a dash capital a of, Of the oregon constitution, which allows her to declare you know, that kind of emergency, a a catastrophic emergency for 30 days. But during that 30 days, if she wants to go beyond it, she has to bring the legislature into session and they get to extend the emergency. You know, it's basically a limitation on that executive authority. You can't just suddenly declare yourself dictator of the state for an unlimited amount of time. There's no statute that gives the governor that power. And I think, you know, very quickly, if she was smart, she'd be declaring a new, you know, issuing a new executive order under Article 10A for 30 days, and she'd be calling a a legislature back into session, which she's going to need to do anyway, because they're going to come out with that new revenue forecast here shortly, and they're going to have to rebalance the budget. And if you don't have the legislature rebalancing the budget, then it has to be across-the-board cuts. And across the board cuts never make sense. That's just basically saying everything is equally important that government does and, and I'm sorry, but some things are you know, but speaking of equally important, you know i you know phase one's great, and if folks you know might notice things have changed a little bit up top here, they don't quite have the covid nineteen long side berms, you know, and all that stuff. <laughs> Uh, I finally got a haircut yesterday because the the salon where my um, person that cuts my hair uh, works uh, finally you know, they reopened o- over the weekend. They re they took out their waiting area, respaced out their their um, stations, and um, they don't let you they you don't get to come in until they're ready for you. <clears throat> and all that stuff the first thing they do is make you wash your hands got to be they got to be wearing a face mask um they provide you a face mask if you have you know they don't like the ones that tie behind the head or go around the back of the head for obvious reasons so they have the ones that go over the ears for you um so providing face mask All whole lot of great sanitation they're not blow drying hair you know so you have to leave with a wet head if you get your hair washed but you know i i get mine cut dry because i'm just a guy you know my wife had to leave with wet hair when she got her hair cut but talking with with my um person that cuts my hair and the other stylist in the salon and this is a big salon i mean there have got to be 12 people working there plus their their nail technician and um to a person in the salon other than the owner they're all independent contractors where they basically rent their spot in the salon from the owner of the large, larger salon. And, and, um, and in that rent is included, you know, the receptionist cost and some of the other joint costs, you know, like laundry and providing um, all the various, you know, towels, whatever else is part of that independent contractor relationship with the salon owner. Well, the governor's order closed that business down. So even as independent contractors, they were unemployed. They could not get alternative employment in their field of work. So um, it was determined that because of the kind of order, um, you know, that the governor's executive order covered, that they were going to allow independent contractors to apply for unemployment. Well, we all understand what happened with the unemployment office here in oregon working on a 1970s computer language called COBOL. you know even though they got money back in 2012 hmm, 2012 that number came up before back in 2012 they got a huge federal grant to redo the state's it system for unemployment it still has not been done to this date we're on 1970 language basically a 19 you know that would have been old in the 80s in 2020 and so the the processing of unemployment has just been a total cluster and um the folks you know they're they're claiming that they've gotten 87 percent of the people processed everyone i've talked to that is in that category of these independent contractors that has applied for unemployment, none of them have received a single check. They call constantly. They keep they're getting told not to call anymore. Some of these people and they get different answers. If they actually do get somebody on the phone, it's just, you know, in process, in process is what they keep being told. But, you know, these are people that, you know, had to, They're they're living on credit cards, you know, went through all their savings. Uh, I know the the woman that does my wife's nails uh, basically used her $1,200 stimulus check uh, to pay her rent and her insurance and fortunately had a little bit of savings and has managed to get through that time but had to apply for food stamps to feed her family. You know, it, it just, if the governor would pay attention to the unemployment system and had that ready and would issue fixed with these independent contractors, man, that would make a huge difference for a lot of people. Because what we're being told is there's going to be this, in, you know, July 1st, her order around uh, no evictions is going to be is could be lifted in fact it could be lifted if the courts decide that her her actual executive orders have expired um, and there may be this sudden you know huge amount of people that are being evicted out of out of their their apartments and houses because they're unable to pay rent because kate brown's unemployment department can't process their damn unemployment Meanwhile, folks that were already on unemployment before the emergency was declared, you know, for one reason or another, were getting an extra $600 a week or whatever. And they're they're getting their checks, but all the people that got unemployed because of Kate Brown's shutdown stay-at-home orders um, aren't getting their unemployment, you know, and – you know, this this building bubble of, of non-payment of rent and the issues that's going to cause in an already tight housing market, you know, are, is going to be a problem to the point where my board of commissioners is considering jumping into landlord-tenant regulation because um, they've gotten some, there's one particular political group um, that's, that's, pushing towards us to do things like um, locally pass some things that, that prevent evictions, locally uh, provide for six month grace period, locally ban landlords from um, reporting people to credit agencies that aren't paying their rent. You know, I mean, it's all these crazy things. Lane County has no, regulation of landlord-tenant relationships. We have no staff that works in that area. We have no expertise in it. But, you know, our commissioners are are listening to these people, and I'm like, let's just get the people back to work. So they stop building up, you you know, so that they can pay their next month's rent instead of having to go another month without paying rent. Let's hammer on the governor's office and the state about getting the unemployment checks, Fixed and the back checks paid I mean you know these these hairdressers that have been out of work are just now coming back to work and are, and on somewhat of a limited basis because they've got to clean between each client and everything uh, so they're they're not even up to full capacity although I have to say the salon was was absolutely packed every station had somebody at it while I was there because everybody is trying to get their hair cut. And, and particularly, I, I feel for some of the women that, that color their hair because they're dealing with root issues and all that stuff. Um, they are people desperate to get back into those salons. And I, I'm sure that the, uh, you know, folks there are very happy to be back at work. Uh, but, you know, to me, rather than get into uh, local regulation of landlord-tenant relationships, because there is state regulation of all that in fact it fall you know some of the fair housing stuff falls under the bureau of labor and industries and commissioner val hoyle who's from lane county is the person in charge of of the departments to investigate all those you know i trust that they can handle um some of the issues around that i don't think we need to step in at a time where we're probably going to end up having to have multiple sessions to cut our budget over the next year I mean, right now our budget's balanced, but that's based on a lot of pre-COVID-19 revenue predictions. So uh, we really um, don't need to add staff and add a new function for the county at a time where we really can't afford to do it. And it kind of begs the question why. What we really need to do is successfully complete phase one, get into phase two, and in fact, it'd be nice. You know, if the governor's order gets pulled back, we can't get everybody back to work uh, in some form and, and maintaining better, you know, a little bit, a little bit different hygiene standards, a little bit different, you know, social standards. Yeah, we're not going to be, you know, hugging, kissing and shaking hands anytime soon. Um, but I think, you know, we can get back most every uh, business can get back to work safely. Um But, you know, that's kind of seems to be um, there's one particular bent in politics right now that seems to be trying to be taking advantage of this crisis to expand the role of government in multiple ways. You know, we're going to now, you know, have local governments get involved in landlord tenant stuff because, um, you know, because of the crisis. I think that has more to do with we always wanted to be involved in landlord-tenant stuff. What's interesting to me is some of the complaints we're hearing are the fact that people are still getting rent increases. And guess what? Those rent increases are exactly the maximum amount allowed under the rent control bill that the legislature passed a couple years ago. And fulfills a prediction that I told folks when they're considering passing rent control, that what you do when you set it up is you set what the what rent increases are going to be every year. Because as a landlord, you don't know what's going to happen to your cost over the next year. And if you're limited in your rent increases annually and you're concerned that there may be a year that exceeds that that percentage, you go to the max percentage every year whether you need to or not. And particularly in a highly constrained market, which kind of leads to this whole thing about COVID-19 and where has it hit the worst? Wouldn't have anything to do with density, would it? You know, and and cramming people into tight areas based on um, land use policies that are are fulfilling, uh, you know, parts of agenda 21 from the un basically of of, you know we're going to throw everybody in large cities and force them on to mass transit and and jam them together and lo and behold the same regulations that are trying to do that have greatly suppressed uh housing because it's driven up cost of land to put housing on and you basically have a situation where Um, you know, housing is just incredibly expensive. So landlords can make those rent increases. So, you know, not only do we have to, you know, work on getting people back to work and getting folks that, that deserve that unemployment check getting them and the back checks, we need to think seriously about revamping our land use system so there's more housing built, you know, we got to stop trying to do everything we can to constrain people's housing choices. Let the market decide what people want to build. You know, why, why do we have to dictate that? You know, it, it sent it's all this central planning and such failures of central planning. You know, why isn't the IT work for unemployment outsourced? And, and, and privatized. Look what's happened, you know, keeping it in-house in, in, house in, a, govern, in a, govern, a state government. We're working on 1980 software. You know, just doesn't make any sense at all. Well, I'm going to take a little breath. Like I said, there's so much talk about today. I haven't gotten half of it. Um, but I do want to remind folks that this is a call-in show. And you can take the topic in any direction you want just by dialing 646-721-9887. Just press 1 lets us know you want to get in on the show and you're not just listening. So it's 646-721-9887. Just press 1. And uh, that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire, know you want to get in on the show. So, um, you know, just fascinating times we live in. And, and really some fascinating things that are really coming out of this whole COVID thing. Uh, I was listening to Bill London's show this morning on the wake up call on KPNW 1120 AM here in the Eugene Springfield area. And he had Dr. Roger Klein on his show, who is both a medical doctor and a doctor of jurisprudence, i.e. a lawyer. And, uh, he, he was, also has been a virologist and worked with the CDC and all the Alphabet Soup folks that are involved in uh, uh, providing, uh, you know, public health protection. And he basically was saying the, the stay-at-home stuff was, was a mass failure, and that for the most part, it was already in the communities, uh, and the stay-at-home was done too late to do much real good and was advocating actually lifting it because the damage being done economically is hurting people's health worse than the virus because he was also talking about the virus wasn't as deadly as they first thought and not as contagious as they first thought. So it looks like we have a caller on the line there, Robin. You want
3: to? Hello.
2: Hi, you're on the Bo's Nose Show. What, what's your comment or your question or, or what topic do you want to take us towards?
3: Well, you had uh, just mentioned a moment ago uh, about plans for uh, some of the major issues that we're definitely seeing get worse during this crisis, and that was regarding housing and uh, things that we can do as far as the system goes to change that. Um artificially restricting the growth of housing uh basically causing the housing market um you know supply to be dwindling whereas uh the uh, demand for it continues to get higher and higher we're unable to match the housing supply with the demand and therefore the competition in the market is within the renters not within the housing supply
2: Yeah, and that's, you know, what people end up doing is with when you have restricted supply like that is they buy down, uh, you know, somebody that could actually afford, um, you know, a, a housing, sometimes they can't find it. So they end up buying something that's less expensive and forcing people that, that you know, into out of out, out of the bottom of the housing uh, structure uh, where there's just nothing available for s- folks down on the low end. Uh, instead of them moving up, yeah, it, it's really um, sad that some people just can't get that concept of supply, demand, and price, and that and that the 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 yeah. cost of housing that is so outrageous in Oregon, and the amount of developed land as a percentage of the total land base of Oregon, you know, we're at we're at less than 4% of our land's ever been developed in Oregon. So worrying about things like sprawl is not, you know, not something that should be our first and foremost. We should be more worried about what we're doing to families that have to pay 50% of their monthly income just on their rent or more. I mean, that's, that's not atypical in, in Lane County. You know, they call it, housing burden if you have to pay more than 30 percent of your monthly income and in rent and it a large population of lane county is even beyond that they're paying 50 percent or more of their monthly income and in rent and that's just a reflection of not putting enough supply in the pipeline you know that that's that's really really where it comes down to and our land use laws are doing it to us the the urban growth boundaries the, you know, look at what envisioned Eugene, how many years that took, and then they didn't expand the urban growth boundary. and then they wonder why no one can afford to rent Eugene.
3: Right and i'm I'm one of those people that is definitely being choked um, at the bottom of the totem pole. Um, that was one of the reasons why I wanted to kick Julie Fahey from her seat. Uh, I, I thought that I could come up with far better solutions for the housing crisis that definitely involved at least some expansion it is absolutely necessary and unfortunately we have um, one particular political ideology that includes beliefs that this is just this is human op- human overpopulation and that we should just be decreasing the human population versus expanding for human population growth. Um and unfortunately, we can't talk sense into people that believe that. They don't they don't think that it's it's our own ways that should change for the better, for more growth. They think our change should be for uh decrease and they're just they're not going to change their minds. Um but I think that if we were at least able to try it, that I think the result would be convincing enough um, I think there's definitely room for growth. And if we were to do that, and at the same time, if we could reduce taxes all the way around, I mean, I think that we would see a huge growth spurt, potentially be able to afford to live again and perhaps maybe not need government assistance to to uh, make it. One one thing that I really did agree with Bernie on was that nobody that works forty hours a week should, you know, have to have government assistance to survive. They shouldn't need it. And he's right, but the plan the plan is essential and how that's going to play out is going to determine, you know, the end result. I think if they would just give us a chance, we could turn it around.
2: Yeah, I I have to agree with you any, and I'm gonna agree with Bernie also. They shouldn't have to, you know, get government assistance. But the problem is, is government stepped into so many areas of the market, they've driven up costs through regulation and and taxation. Um, yep. Where people aren't making those connections. You know, who do you think is going to pay the corporate activities tax? There's nobody named corporate it's that's going to write.
3: consumers. Yep. So
2: you know, and you know, who's going to pay for the new uh, cleaner air organ regulation um, you know to in order to meet those requirements those industries that have to adhere to that their customers will you know and right. or employees will in lower wages you know or stockholders will in lower lower dividends it's just um, people don't get that but you know representative fade you know did want you know put a bill forward to have uh, pot lounges and stuff like that. You know, you I you didn't think that was going to help the renters. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh,
2: sorry, I do, but yeah, that was. I mean, that's that was one of her. She put forward you know a couple times bills to to make it legal to have um, pot lounges similar to bars where you would actually have to travel to and from. Someplace um or from it eventually high,
0: so
3: you I, know i I really wouldn't yeah. even care about pot lounges i I really think you know that's kind of a part of people's freedom. I think we should you know that's kind of where our constitutional rights fall in, where you know the less we're regulated, I think you know sometimes the better, of course, not for you know really terrible illicit drugs, but I mean marijuana i really don't don't see as a very big deal, I think really where the issue is is that it's the lack of focus on the important issues that everyday Oregonians, especially Eugenians and um, folks from Spring Tucky, you know, we're, we're facing these issues every single day on the bottom of the totem pole. Every day when we drive around, we see everyone on the corners. I mean, I've had three different people die in the slough up the road from me. Why are our representatives not focused on the issues that we are? Yeah. Yeah.
2: Or why aren't they focused at least on the free market side of some of those issues? I mean, I I constantly hear because
3: it's not an accident. We need
2: need to build more government housing that we can offer with subsidies to people and, and low income housing and supportive housing and all that stuff. It's like, you know, I. The government is so inefficient at building housing and providing it. You know, the cost, the actual cost to society is so much higher. Why not turn the free market loose, loosen up some of our land use laws and see if we can get some real housing built and really deal with. That's
3: exactly what my platform was right there.
2: Yep. Yep. That was exactly the plan. Yep. And I, I was rooting for you. Uh, and, and and hoping you'd move on, but, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, having your name up in, in, in uh, election signs, year after year after year, uh, sometimes builds a name recognition. It's hard to overcome. So don't get disturbed, though, right. know, and uh, stay involved in the process. There are other places um, we need, you know, people that think about free market solutions and liberty uh, in government so that somebody can go, hold it, central planning doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah,
3: yeah, I mean, I I think the people as a collective, we can come up with some great solutions together without the push from government.
2: Yeah, we don't need elites in some office in Salem or Portland planning our lives for us. And unfortunately, people are taking this COVID-19 thing to try and get to that point even further, you know, where, you know, they're trying and plan everything about us, you know, where they've actually gone down to the details of how a hair salon or a gym can operate safely instead of maybe leaving that up to the owner of the hair salon or the gym and the customers to try and work that out for themselves. You know, it's just amazing.
3: Yeah. yeah,
2: she she made sure that, you know, the video lottery machines were in phase one because that's money coming in the door.
3: Yeah, anything to do with tax revenue that the state's receiving, of course, they you know, they're they're going to want their money, but they don't care about our money.
2: Yeah, they never su- shut down the pot shops or the liquor stores.
3: Well, you know, I'm not going to lie. I was about ready to bootleg if they were actually going to shut him down. And then the decision came out that they weren't going to do that. And I thought, oh, okay, we're all good.
2: (laughs) I was was kind of struggling with some of that myself. I I, I have to admit that that, that COVID-19, you know, stay-at-home orders have definitely been hard on my liquor cabinet. Uh, (laughs) And a little little embarrassing on recycling day. (laughs)
3: Yeah, I I'd, I'd have to agree there. That was But you know, I think I think it's just it's really public morale. I think we've all we've all felt some of that depression and, and you know, those negative isolation feeling from uh feeling so restricted, unable to go camping. I mean, we we took the family out to go dirt biking and received a lot of hate. Uh, you know we were outside we were being active uh the other families that were there were like 30 feet away and and we were still uh you know kind of being put down for that and that just that that feeling of being looked at like an outsider when we are out and about that itself really kept people from leaving
2: yeah yeah it's it's sad that you know people won't realize you know they see a group of people together and they immediately think, Oh, look there. And, and you may not realize like my next door neighbor who has eight, eight kids
3: when he's out with
2: his his kids, it looks like they're breaking every rule there is, but they live in the same household, you know, and, and they're, and they've right. been social distancing from other families and stuff, but man, they, you know, see them out and around you would, you know, I imagine they get a lot of dirty looks. Um, if, if they are ever you know, at one place at the same time, just because they look like they're, you know, might have a mixed group of, pe- of kids there or something like that and aren't, aren't paying attention. But, yeah, don't don't judge. One thing I will will agree with the governor is be ki- that, that thing about be kind that she was talking about, right. you know, as we're reopening. Um, we need to be kind um, and, and not judge people. You know, the person you see without right. the mask on. Um, might be somebody that just didn't have access to it or is having trouble breathing with one on Um, you know there may be all sorts of reasons for it you know and and the person with the mask on has it on because they feel it's the right thing to do you know and being being critical or judgmental without understanding that person's point of view is not a good place to be well i really appreciate you calling in for those show anything else you want to bring up before you, I jump into some other topics?
3: Uh, probably not. I think that's that'll probably cut it for now. <laughs>
2: All right.
3: Thanks for having well, feel me.
2: Free, feel free to call in any time. Thank you for calling.
3: Absolutely. Have a good day.
2: You too. That's how easy it is to get in and change the topic on the Bose Nose Show. Just give us a call at 646-721-9887. Press 1 so Robin knows you want to get in on the show. So got about um, 20 minutes here on the Bozno show or sorry, 10 minutes on the Bozno show. I'm looking at clock wrong. Uh, And uh, so there's plenty of time for another call, but I want to get a couple more things covered that were going on. One of the things I really haven't talked about a lot is the election and our budget. And I just want to say the election was interesting one of the things I pay attention to that most people don't is what happened in County commissioner races across the state. And from what I can see, there is a swing back to the center, right in local government coming. And, uh, one only has to look at things like the loss of Jim Bernard in Clackamas County, uh, by 2 Smith. And what happened in, uh, Clatsop County, where two um, highly progressive uh, incumbents got defeated by challengers. And they're actually going to have a more conservative majority in Clatsop County for the first time in a long time. So um, that's just kind of an interesting aspect that you you won't hear on the news because no one really takes a look across the state at a bunch of county commissioner races. You might hear in your individual county what's going on, you know, which here in in Lane County, we saw the uh, incumbent Pat Farr easily win re-election, Patty Perlow easily win re-election, and Christine Lumberg, mayor of Springfield, easily win re-election, all being challenged by folks that were kind of put up by a more progressive um, uh, group of people. And uh, so local At least on the local side it seems like we're seeing a little bit of a a pendulum swing back uh and maybe that that's reflective of the covid stuff maybe it's not uh but we'll see and uh so i want to talk a little bit about budget because we're going to be doing that tomorrow and tomorrow evening you know it's one of these um go to meeting uh uh zoom sort of things uh, which you can go to the county website to figure out how to, to log into if you want to give comment but we'll have our final public hearing on the budget tomorrow night so if you have any comments about it but i have um three proposals to amend the budget i'm i'm making ones rather technical about what reserve funds get used first in the road fund just trying to make sure we spend the non-federal money first because the federal money can actually in a pinch be used to fund the uh uh, patrol services side of the sheriff's office and uh so we don't want to spend that money we want to try and reserve that to eventually where that reserve um, ends up being all federal money where if we got in a pinch we could use it for the sheriff um very technical second amendment I'm proposing is going to be to reinstate Lane County in the Association of Oregon and California Railroad lands counties, which we've talked about here on the Bos nose show before and I would love it if people um, participated in the uh, uh, public hearing to ask us to can, to join rejoin the association of O and c counties. Um, Traditionally, we have gotten somewhere between 20 and 40 million dollars a year from the federal government, either through harvest receipts or through replacement payment dollars for our ONC lands. We are down to basically four million dollars. So it's a resource of income. Coming into our general fund, where we could use it for law enforcement, we could use it for housing projects, we could use it for you know whatever we want to use it for because that's our discretionary general fund. Uh, I'd like to see us rebuild our sheriff's patrol and get uh, a little bit higher response time, so folks in Pleasant Hill don't have to hide in their bathroom while people are ransacking their house. Um, you know, we uh, really need to. Uh, to do something there and the fact that we're not participating in the one association that lobbies on behalf of the group of counties. And there are only 18 counties in the whole United States that have these kind of federal lands in them. That association is our biggest voice to try and get the federal government. And I don't care if you're anti-harvest and you just want us to get subsidies, we still have to have a voice speaking there and we're not paying dues into that organization. It's not a large amount. It's basically a little over $70,000 a year. Um, and what I'm proposing to do, uh, we are actually having our dues reduced for another association by $19,000. So I'm going to take that money plus $10,000 of my own office money. And then another, um, uh, some money out of the, the reserves to pay for those dues because the return on investment could be great. If we could get them back just to that $20 million a year, that would be five times more revenue than we're getting now. And when you think about investing $70,000 for potentially getting 20,000, 20 million, that's a pretty damn good investment. Not to mention we're, we're working as a team with other counties in that. That's my, my second proposal uh, for a budget amendment. My third proposal for a budget amendment has to deal with something we talked about yesterday at the board meeting, which is our climate action planning efforts. Uh, what was interesting is we had somebody present to us about ocean acidification and hypoxia, which is interestingly caused by pollution coming from Asia into the ocean, which is causing the acidification process and the uh, currents that bring that acidified water uh, along the bottom of of the Pacific and then it upwells here on the Pacific coast and causes the hypoxia events. um, It's all related to China, India, Russia, and Asian um, pollution and the fact that those are the largest emitters of sulfur dioxide and Nitrogen oxides, which create acid rain, um, create some of this problem. Um, and they were trying to figure out how we could do something in our climate action plan that was going to affect ocean acidification and hypoxia. Well, news flashed to the board of commissioners, other than myself, um, we live in the westerly latitudes. The wind blows in off the Pacific Ocean. Our pollution, our issues here have nothing to do with ocean acidification and hypoxia. Nothing in our climate action plan is going to change that. So one of the proposals I have basically is to take the 260 some thousand dollars that they're going to be spending in the next year's budget and remove that from the climate action planning effort and give that money to the Lane County Sheriff's Department to hire two more deputies in the patrol division and specifically task those deputies in some of the investigation of property crime and nuisance uh, properties that are occupied by folks that are committing a, you know a lot of the crime out in the rural areas. and you're seeing things that are going to be environmentally damaged because the money's coming from our waste management division. And you're seeing things like the abandoned cars and the junk cars being stripped out in the open like that property right there at Highway 36 and Highway, I mean, Poodle Creek and Highway 126. You know, the, the Swamp Creek Farm there. You know, we're just not dealing with that because we just don't have the resources. So I'm saying the heck with our climate action planning because we have the lowest carbon footprint of any county per capita for our county operations in the state that I know of, and um, we should be taking that money, which will be doing nothing for us, and investing it in a couple of patrol officers that will help deal with ongoing pollution and environmental issues out in our rural areas. Not to mention that they could operate also as backup and additional patrol when they're not doing that kind of work. So those are my three budget proposals, but I would love for folks to come to our budget meeting uh, on Thursday evening, and uh and testify at the hearing so that that is what i would like to see people do not sure if we'll get people there it's you know pretty easy to do though because you get to do it remotely from your computer at home we only bring you in on audio we don't bring you in on video uh, so you don't have to worry about whether you were able to get in and get a haircut with your your hairdresser like i was able to manage to do for the phase one reopening. But really, um, it's important we hear from more than just the activists, because the activists don't want us to get it back into AOCC, because they're concerned that it might actually lead to cutting some trees in our federal forests, which are over, being overgrown and becoming fire hazards, um, even though they were planted to be harvested. And a lot of them are planted as tree farms with monoculture uh, dug fir, and they need to be harvested uh, you know they're not going to miraculously become old growth forests uh, before they burn down <laughs> if they're not harvested so just want to let folks know that that budget committee uh, starts at, at five thirty 30 um, and the actual um, public hearing public comment period is is expected to start about uh, 540 and run through about 630 Uh, but you can uh, you know kind of get there um, if you go to our um, our uh, board agendas online under county commissioner meetings and this week's agenda there's actually a link you can click to register for the may 21st um, Budget Committee meeting. So hopefully some of you can get in there and let us know how you feel about rejoining the Association of ONC Counties, and let's get the federal government back responsible for the 2.1 million acres that they own as ONC lands. Now, mind you, the U.S. Forest Service forests are 16 million acres, basically eight times more. So it's not like we're, we're talking about cutting all the the forest in in the world and we're not even talking about cutting all the ONC sea lands of that 2.1 million acres uh, much of it's going to be left uncut even if we move ahead with some of the for, some of the uh harvest plans and even if we don't we need to get the federal government to do something similar to the the old srs plan where they actually pay somewhere equivalent to what the harvest should be happening somewhere in that 20 to 40 million dollar range and and to me it's criminal that we're not going after that revenue particularly in a time where we're probably going to have to cut our budget over the next year because state revenues are falling and other revenues like our our um, transient room taxes because you know no one's being allowed to travel because the governor Kate's illegal um uh orders so uh you know we're going to have a hit in a lot of our revenue streams so we're either going to be making cuts or we can Rejoin the association for a small cost of seventy thousand dollars and get our voice heard and get the federal government to meet their responsibilities and replace those revenues you know from the federal government instead of constantly turning to the local taxpayer like the l c c board uh, did with their their uh, bond issue and I'm not looking forward to my new tax bill this fall. I ran over. I told you I had too much to talk about today, and I still didn't cover some of what I want to cover. So we'll be back next week for the Bose Nose Show, Wednesday, 4 o'clock. I'll report how that budget committee went, and uh, there'll be other things to talk about. So stay tuned. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.